Welcome to Digital Therapeutics Edition of Digital Health Today, and I'm your host, Eugene Berhovich. In the previous episode, I spoke with Dominic Berzewoda, CEO and co-founder of Perfood. Perfood, in their own words, is working on a pipeline of prescription digital therapeutics powered by personalized nutrition. Today, I speak with Shailja Dixit, CEO and co-founder of Curio. In their own words, Curia is a digital therapeutics company with tailor-made cognitive behavioral therapy programs for women across the cycle of life, encompassing age groups, physiological conditions, and social settings. But before we dive in, Shalja reached out a few months back to learn more about health coaching. I was super excited to hear of a DTX company that I've never heard of before and was in stealth building some amazing products. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Shalja. Shalja, welcome to the DTX podcast. Been looking forward to having you on. And for all of our listeners, would love to hear a little bit of your introduction. And then one key thing here is to not forget about a fun fact about you, because we do want to get to know all of our guests. Thank you, Dean, and thanks for inviting us. Again, I've been listening to your podcast, and I'm really excited to be here as a participant. So this is really nice series. I am Shalja. I'm a physician by training, originally trained in India, but then have been in U.S. for 25 years. Did my training here as well. So I have covered every area of healthcare, I would say, from provider side, I was on the insurance or plan side, I've been in med tech with G Healthcare, and then pharma side. And of course, all of us have been patients. So as we say, all P's of healthcare as some way or the other I have touched. You asked about a fun fact. So one thing is I love to travel, not just travel, I love to understand different cultures. And I think that has helped me a lot to connect with people and to have an appreciation of every culture across the globe. Our universe, our earth is so beautiful with beautiful people and beautiful culture. So far, I have traveled 40 countries and most of the continent. I have been to most of the U.S. states, just few left. So my goal is to at least cover 100 countries in my lifetime. So that's my personal fun goal. Love it. And I think you're in the right field because you appreciate human beings. And so (laughs) as you have to in health and care, love that fact. Let's now jump right into Curio. Would love to understand what was the prompt or instigation to start Curio and give us a little bit of that founding story. Sure. So Eugene, one thing is, as I said, I've been on like different sides of healthcare, med tech, pharma, and delivery side as well. My own personal journey with a postpartum was I think one of the toughest personal, and I'll emphasize on professional journey. Coming back to work in that life transition, I think is the biggest life transition for a woman in her lifetime. There are many more. You have a new human being added to your life. You have a responsibility. There's a lot going on in your life from a physical perspective, from a hormonal and emotional perspective, and then my professional life. So when the right time came for digital and I have worked on beyond the pill approach in pharma industry, I reflected on the area where we can have a biggest impact and where I personally felt there was an unmet need. And that's how Curio started. And somehow the timing was that it happened right around the corner when we were getting into pandemic, you know, COVID. 
And then digital became even more important for everyone, not just in healthcare, but across the globe. This was the mode of communication for a while, unfortunately, for many of us. Well, first of all, thank you for being so open and sharing this. And this is one of the things that I love about health and care. Again, many of the companies get started because of our personal human experiences, or unfortunately, sometimes inhumane experiences. So appreciate that transparency. Before we get into what really the products are, your selection process and all of that, I would love to, as kind of an earlier stage company, as for lack of a better term, a newcomer to the DTX, there's not much about you. And while I'm not a journalist, I do some digging ahead of time. There's not much on the funding. There's not much on the formation of this. So to whatever extent you can and want to share, would love to hear a little bit of that, just for other entrepreneurs to also learn. We were in a stealth mode for first one, one and a half year. We are coming out of that stealth mode with a more defined offering, more defined strategy. Our vision, I think, has also becoming more and more clear. This is a newer area for many of us. So you will hear more. I'm hoping with this podcast, I'm reaching out to many more people and we'll be doing more of our conference presentation and so on in in coming times. We have been submitting to some scientific journals. Another thing that we are very particular about is evidence, and I'll talk more about it. So last few years were also spent on not just strategy, but making sure we have the right evidence that we can talk about, which is clinically validated. So absolutely. Again, we initially started with friends and family, but then we were very, very fortunate to have good support and seed funding from investors like Avistria Ventures, which focus on women's health, some high net worth family offices who believed in the cause, and we have raised our Series A in a rolling basis. So now we are at a good spot to execute and scale our solution and get it in hands of more women out there. Amazing. And thanks again for continued transparency on even the funding components. Again, the personal story plays into the picture. And I think we all know that one of two people in US and beyond are women. And that's been an underinvested area, let's put it politely, for this podcast. Yes, there was a personal experience, but then also would love to hear a little bit about your selection process because you have you know, digital therapies you're working on for fertility, going through pregnancy. And again, as a young startup or as a young company, on one side, focus is key. On the other side, the breadth of it is also key as you scale. So wanted to hear a little bit more about your thinking on the specific areas and also touch on what is that quote unquote experience of a woman using your product? You're 100% right. Like women's health has been a neglected area. There are many neglected areas, but area which has really not been looked at. Again, I think we also felt that although there are other digital, there are some therapy approaches as well, but it has to be contextualized for women. It's very different. Same thing, like we kept on thinking, yeah, we have clinical trials and we need people in the trial, not understanding that there is a diversity in that human beings. Women have to be part of those clinical trials as well. So this is where the mental health component comes. It's an area, again, even more underlooked. You'll be surprised women are twice to thrice more likely to get mental health condition than men. 
So add that layer of complexity and every phase of their life, unfortunately, there are environmental or societal aspect, but there are also physiological aspect in women's life that make them more vulnerable to mental health. Another very important aspect is, Eugene, when we were looking at impact of digital, there is stigma component attached. In US, across the globe, there is a high degree of stigma and it varies and other societies to talk about mental health. So digital provides a really good opportunity to destigmatize. You're meeting the patient where they are in their home when they want without taking care of that stigma aspect as well. So we really very passionately feel about this impact factor that it can create across the globe. I'll just say one more thing. Another very important thing is that with digital, you can, to some degree, make sure that the science-driven interventions are available across the globe. So somebody we are launching in India, sitting in India and being in U.S., can get to some degree the same science-driven aspects. Some variation is required from a cultural perspective and whatnot, but at least the science aspect can be uniformly delivered. Went across and talked. We also understood that many therapists are not trained so much with all due respect. It's just about the nature of the training in particular population aspect, which is women here. So that's what we are providing as well, a more clinically validated homogeneous platform that can be scaled, is affordable, can destigmatize mental health. Absolutely. And the crazy part to me is that as the pandemic hit us, as the world turns upside down, literally on a nightly basis, that there's still stigma around mental health. And so, you know, appreciate every entrepreneur that's pursuing this. Maybe again, let's pick one product in your portfolio. I know you guys have been in development MVP for about two years or so. Maybe describe the journey of a woman whether we're talking about your Mama Lift product or Ferry Lift or Bella Lift. So pick one. But I think for our listeners, we'd love to hear a little bit about each one after that. Absolutely. So let me talk about our product, which is right now being commercialized and is in the clinics, Mama Lift. Lift is a physical and mental lift. That's where the lift comes from. All of our products have a lift as a superscript in them. What we are trying to convey is it's going to lift your emotional well-being and so on. So the experience of the woman is once she gets to know about a product through her OBGYN, they will also be able to find it through a direct-to-consumer marketing campaign that we are going to launch in January. She gets on our platform, which is very simple, through a QR code answers few questions, starts her journey. Now, important thing is it's a five or eight week module, depending on the severity and where you are. It is personalized to some degree based on the intake questionnaire. So where the woman is, what are key concern, our AI platform to some degree contextualizes and personalizes the journey. One very important thing is that all she has to do is interact 10 minutes. It's a guided journey. So think about it as a therapist in a box, which is guiding you every day and giving you a lesson or coaching every day through the digital platform. So 10 minutes, then there are interactive exercises to make sure 
and I think this is a question for every digital, to make sure that it's an engaging journey. We have exercises which are augmented reality, a nudging architecture, gamification. So rather than making it like a lesson, we have made it in a very interactive game and engaging fashion throughout a journey. We do have clinical assessment because everything is clinically validated. So we provide clinical assessments on a twice a week, thrice a week basis to see where they are going. And the algorithm is able to escalate or de-escalate. So if she's not improving, and that will happen with some, we escalate it to their providers, OBGYNs, we send them a report. We will be adding coaches to make sure that they keep on track. And we also escalate it to therapists. We have some partnership with some therapist organization because I'm not saying that digital is the answer. It is one enabler to make things happen. We still need some human touch and enforcement from even their OBGYN. So it's a balance. That's the world that we are going to be in. Nothing can be completely fully virtual. Nothing can be completely only digital. That's the nature of medicine. You need a little bit of a human touch. You may need some face-to-face with your provider too. And just one quick question on that. So the modules, is it CBT-based? Yeah, so the modules are a combination of three signs. It's cognitive behavioral therapy, CBT, interpersonal therapy, IPT, and behavioral activation therapy. So the three concepts which have been proven signs, we have brought them together and contextualized it for women. Well, that sound means it's time for a question from my clinical and commercial partner on this podcast, Chandana Fitzgerald, who is the Chief Medical Officer and General Manager of Health Excel, and as her friends call her, Dr. No Crack. Let's see what question Chandana has for our guest today. Hi, Shelja. I love what you're doing. I'm just curious to understand what is the difference between the CBT and mental health support that you are offering to women at different phases in their lives versus, say, CBT that we could get on other apps? How is it more targeted and more effective on women? Oh, hello, Shandana, and long time. This is Thank you for your question. Really appreciate it. And it's a very relevant question. Cognitive behavioral therapy is a proven science, and that's also the first line of treatment, either augmented or alone, when we are talking about many mental health conditions. It's very relevant point that how do we do it differently versus what's already available. So there are a few things. As I said, there are three concepts that we bring together, not just one. That's really important. Because if you think about, let's talk about again, Mama Lift, the interpersonal relationship or interpersonal therapy is a very, very important component here as well, along with CBT. The second thing is that in every aspect, it's contextualized for women. You can't talk about you are feeling low without talking about, oh my God, you didn't have a sleep because you have a baby who was colicky. Or you are nursing mom and you have like only one hour of sleep span. That's the key difference. Till you address those life journey moments, we believe that the therapy will not be effective. So we have intertwined that empathy of what woman is going through, contextualize her journey and woven it into the concepts of cognitive behavioral therapy. The intent was not to rewind the, redo the wheel, which science has already proven as a backbone, but the intent was to make it more contextual and impactful for women. I'm gonna hop in here 
Good question as always, Chandana and Shabja. Thank you for that answer. But today, the Mama Lift product, you mentioned you're already in clinics. And so the experience is a recommendation. But I'm also understanding that you are targeting to become a PDT, a prescription digital therapeutic. Maybe you can talk a little bit about why. I mean, on one side, being prescribed is great. But if you're already being recommended by doctors, fantastic. So we'd love to understand kind of your reasoning on PDT and going that route as well. Oh, uh, yeah. Very nice question. So we will have both products, Mama Lift, which we abide by plus one general wellness guidelines from FDA, does not require prescription, as you said, recommendation. We encourage them to be in contact with their providers. Mama Lift Plus is a higher digital dose for more severe patients. It's actually a continuum journey. And those patients who are at a higher severity, we believe need more oversight from clinical staff. That's why the PDT journey, we didn't want to leave it at only low severity. We wanted to take it to the next extent. And then there is one more aspect beyond that, which is with medication, because some percentage unfortunately may need medication. So digital then becomes an augmentation possibly, but not only thing in that respect. So this is meant for a higher severity patient. Physicians are the best one to decide who go to the higher severity and if these patients need to be added a medication along with digital. It's a simple continuum approach that we are taking. A, I just love hearing the digital dose of a non-molecular, for lack of a better term, treatment drug. And I've been talking about active ingredients in digital versus active ingredients in molecular. So I'm sure we can go off on a tangent here for hours just in that alone, but we'll save that for a different time. I'm going to jump in a little bit because obviously, especially when it comes to PDT, evidence generation is absolutely key. And having a platform that, yes, on one side, let's call it more abiding by the wellness and the recommendation versus PDT. How do you go about generation of evidence and how are you thinking about this? Would love to hear more. So evidence, I think, is uh, one of the key principles or pillars of our product. So we've talked about patient engagement and journey and contextualizing. We call that our first pillar. Our second pillar, I would say, evidence and clinical validity. And our third pillar is actually cybersecurity encryption. So these are three key pillars of our approach as we take our product. Evidence generation can take long for a new startup company or a small company. If we are looking at clinicians to adopt it, then it's really important to have evidence. So we wanted to make sure what we are saying and we can stand behind that with data. So both of these are slightly different evidence generation approach, just because of the nature of the audience who are going to look at this, FDA or regulatory body versus publications. But they are both high quality. For example, for our wellness product, Mama Lift, we have registry where we constantly collect de-identified data. We also did some IRB approved studies and we submitted and we are constantly publishing that data. For our DTX product or PDT product, prescription digital product, we have double arm like controlled studies, randomized controlled studies done in a classical randomized control fashion. 
But the beauty of digital is that we don't need to have a center-based enrollment. We can do an online enrollment, but we are collecting more and more data in a randomized control fashion. So that's the key difference, I would say. Again, we are not going to stop because I don't think so. Digital is one time. There is so much that we'll keep on learning. That's the beauty of digital. As patients interact, there could be subtypes of patient cultural differences. So our goal is to actually be on a journey on an ongoing basis to keep on collecting evidence. We have done seven clinical trials so far, large, small, one-year trial, usability studies, and we are going to launch another one in January. There are two more studies that will be coming as well next year. So it's going to be a journey for us. We strongly believe in that. Amazing on the studies and amazing as a pipeline, again, from more health and wellness recommended to prescription digital therapeutics. So love to hear this and all accomplished in about two and a half years. So kudos on that as well. We're going to take a quick break and be right back with Shalja Dixon, CEO and co-founder of Curio. Let's jump into commercialization. You mentioned earlier in our discussion, you're in some clinics. I thought I saw something about health plans. For a digital therapeutic, there are many ways to go. And I always get asked because I interview people, amazing people like yourself, what's the right channel? What's the right market entry? And my answer was yes, yes, and yes, right? I think it depends. But would love to hear how you guys are thinking about this to the extent that you can and want to disclose. So it is actually yes, yes, and yes. You have to get all players and all stakeholders on board to make it successful. Now, the challenge happens is that as a smaller or starting this journey, how many channels you can look at. So definitely providers have been important because they are the one who are going to recommend. We also have a provider portal. So we, through a secure channel, can send the report to a provider how patient is doing. This is even more important in our PDT category where we are able to send the report. So providers have been always important. So that channel will always be there. We are already in like few hospital systems and we are looking at more actually, I think three, four more next year that we will add. Second channel, direct to consumer. We have not put a lot of like energy behind it, but we all believe with digital that consumers need to be empowered so it would be a miss if we don't educate them, we don't make them aware about their condition. And frankly speaking, oftentimes patients today are actually looking at tools online. We all are online. So we will keep on doing patients as well. Plans are important because they are the one who are going to reimburse, especially the PDT category. And reimbursement definitely enhances the adoption, the financial component is important. So we are actually looking at providers of plans from two aspects. One is the insurance, like coverage. And second, more important is that from a population health perspective, they have a broader reach. If they can make it available to a broader population segment, there could be a vast majority of people who can know about the product itself. So I would say yes, yes, yes. Yeah, maybe just a quick follow-up, and I guess sounds like you're prioritizing the providers because at the end of the day, people are walking into hospital systems with any potential complications, God forbid, like other things. So you're prioritizing that along with that education because in many times I ask the question, especially if you're going for the PDT route, how do you ensure that the providers, the clinicians are even aware of you? And one more reason I'll add, in our population, which is women who are pregnant and going through fertility treatment, our two products, women is in touch with the healthcare system, thank God. 
in some shape or form. Even in the United States, every woman has insurance when she's pregnant and right after pregnancy. So they are in touch with the healthcare system. There are decisions that they are making in collaboration with their healthcare provider. So it was really important to make sure that we keep on engaging providers. I think it's also a nature of the patient journey. So another thing which I always talk about is start with the patient journey. As we looked at patient journey, it was very clear to us that these women are in touch. Similarly, if somebody is going through fertility treatment, she is coming back to the fertility clinic on an ongoing basis, is in constant touch with a provider or healthcare system. And hence, it was really important to make sure that providers are there. Yeah, so what you said, absolutely, evidence is important. As we go to plants, it's important. But also, very important component was the patient journey in itself. I'm going to push a little bit here. I think, especially on the PDT side, shout out to Brian Dolan, tracking a lot of the pricing. You have a specific program, X number of weeks. Are you targeting any specific pricing, whether it's on the non-prescription or prescription side? And can you talk about that? I can give you some framework, how we are thinking. First of all, we are not looking at pricing as benchmark to other PDT or who that will be reimbursed or already have a pricing out there. Our pricing is based on the population that we are going to serve or the product is going to be, which is pregnant women first, and then we fertility will be slightly different. So let's talk about mama lift. Most of the deliveries in U.S. or pregnancies in U.S. happen in Medicaid population, about 60% or so. So we have to keep that in mind. Again, I believe that the beauty of digital is accessibility and scalability. So if you take care of accessibility, scalability, the third point of the equation is affordability. So we want to make sure that it's an affordable solution that most of the people can afford, not just in U.S., actually even globally. So that's going to be our benchmark. And affordability is going to be in front and center of our pricing benchmark that we'll be looking at. Perfect. I'm going to actually jump back to something you said earlier. You know, at your coach, we're actually big believers that for access and self-paced digital therapies, whether prescription or non-prescription, are there. And it's amazing because, to your point, you can reach people in remote villages. Everybody has a phone and internet in a lot of cases. On the other side, we also know there's a lack of clinical talent there. And so selfishly, I try to ask our guests a question around that human that you need to lean on, as you mentioned earlier. And kind of our logo, actually, your coach is a hito, which is Japanese kanji for person. We all need a person to lean on. I think you even said the word health coaching earlier. Would love to hear your thoughts on how you think about health coaching in the context of a digital therapeutic and specifically your product. Eugene, frankly speaking, we all need a coach in some form or the other. We all need something to lean in and a coach who can nudge and get us back on track. So the way... I firmly believe that the way healthcare is going in coming times, it's going to be a hybrid of many things. Digital alone may not be the only answer for all, maybe for few who are highly motivated. Virtual alone may not be the answer for all. That may be a blend that is also needed, and that's why the providers for in-person reinforcement as and when needed. And here, I think coaching plays a very, very important role to keep people motivated answer any of their questions and keep them encouraged to continue their journey. Because one thing which 
none of us want, especially from pharma, who we all come from, non-adherence, non-compliance. And I think coaches can play that very important role to make sure that they answer question and keep people back on track. We do have many technology aspects built in, like we have a nudging, we have an avatar, she's a digital coach, but then there is a human coach. I think that's needed as well on top of that. One very important thing that you have mentioned, coach and then therapist and then OBGYNs, they all fall in spectrum and continuum. The beauty of digital and coach again is this can be a homogeneous, scientifically based discussion at a certain clinical standard that can be delivered all across U.S., all across globe. And coaches falls in the same category. Therapist, again, you have to have state-by-state licenses and many more things. What I'm looking at for coaching is that it follows the same kind of scalability aspect as digital. So I think it's a very beautiful blend. Love it. We always try to ask an advice from our guest. And as a clinician yourself, I think I'm going to ask you, what advice would you give to clinicians that are in the front lines, that are working with women? I'll kind of pause here, but would love to hear your advice to clinicians. So first of all, I'll say advice rather than a request. My request to my colleagues and clinicians would be that think about the next generation, even today, the patients are going to be digital. We talk about this term like digital front door, but the fact is that whenever we have a query, a question or anything, the first thing we do is pick up our phone and digital. If you want to call it in a simpler sense, digital front door. We all have our own digital front door for everything. This is the nature of where we all are heading. It's not a bad thing. There is a vast information available out there. So, and I know many of my Colleagues often talk about this fatigue. Patients come with uh, queries with Google, you know, and we even used to do, Dr. Google has given you this, like, let's talk about that. But there are tools which are validated clinically, a lot of like digital tools or DTX. I think they need to embrace that. Historically, I've spent a lot of time in early days of electronic medical record. Healthcare is the last one to adopt technology in many ways. And it's not actually a bad thing. Frankly speaking, because you're talking about somebody's life, health, they need to make sure that there is enough evidence. But once you see the evidence, I think I would request clinicians to consider using more and more digital tools and use their judgment there. That would be my request to all of clinicians out there. And I love your reframing advice versus requests. So that's a first for this podcast. Great. We started with you and would love to end with you. Would love to hear what gets you, Shalja, up in the morning. Many things, actually. I am excited about the possibilities that we are seeing. I'm excited about the next generation of tools that we are seeing out there. I won't say it's a good thing, but with pandemic, we all have understood that digital is important. And that's what I'm excited about, that maybe we saw a fast track adoption of digital in last two, three years. And that's what keeps me up in the morning. Like I didn't talk about this, Eugene. I have served in very, very underserved area where there was literally no electricity, forget about internet. And I am uh, looking at this next phase of my life where hopefully that reversal can happen and we can have an impact in many lives across the globe. That's a beautiful way to end this episode. Thank you, Shalja, for making the time. And we learned a lot today. Thank you, Eugene, for inviting us. And thank you, Chandana, for all those questions. Really appreciate it. 
Thanks for tuning into the Digital Therapeutics Edition of Digital Health Today, a production of mission-based media. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast player so you're automatically notified each time I speak with one of these amazing leaders and trailblazers who are forging the path for digital therapeutics. If you'd like to learn more about Your Coach Health or Health Excel, you can find the links to this and more in the show notes for this episode. I'm Eugene Borohovich, and catch you next time. Thank you.